Have you ever felt doubt about whether or not God can keep his promise to you? Have you ever thought that maybe God needs your help? That maybe he's busy right now, and if I stand up and I give him a little assistance, then he could keep it. Have you ever prayed to God, and you just didn't feel like he answered you? When you called out, he wasn't there. You know maybe that God's got a plan for your life. A big plan. But God seems absent. When's God going to show up? Today we're going to look at a story of an individual in the Bible who felt this way. He didn't have a full understanding of who God was. He had a bit of a distorted picture. He didn't fully trust God. And we're going to look at the actions that come from his understanding of who God was. So we continue on where where David left off last week. And we're looking at the same family, the family of Isaac. And we're going to look at the younger twin brother of Esau. We're going to be looking at Jacob, the man who became Israel. So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 25. So if you want to open your Bibles with me. And we see that from the time that Jacob was in, in the womb with his brother, he was in conflict. We pick it up in verse 22. The children struggled together with her. This is inside of Rebekah. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. God is making a big statement here. God is saying that I'm going to go against the cultural norm. I'm going to go against the status quo. And I'm going to bless the younger son. So in this this biblical culture at this time, the eldest son would receive the inheritance. He would get a double portion. He would get the blessing. And so from the time of Jacob's birth, from the time he was in the womb, he's told you're going to get the blessing, not the elder son. We see when they're born, verse 24, and when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, holding Esau's heel, so he was called Jacob. Now, this is, this is extreme conflict that, to the point where This baby knew that everything was up for grabs, so he's trying to stop him even when he's on the way out. And he gets labelled Jacob. He gets labelled a liar, a deceiver. Now, this is a pretty interesting name to call your child. We were just talking before in in the children's story about the importance of names, especially in the biblical culture. It, It would tell us what that person's purpose was, where they've been, where they're coming from. Adam, earth man. This man was made from the earth. And here Jacob gets labelled as a deceiver. And as we continue through this story, we're going to see as a deceiver is exactly what he became. The power of words in someone's life. When we look at God's words, God's words have the ability to create. God spoke and it was there. Our words carry power as well. What's going to happen to a child... If from the time they're born, you tell them they're worthless, you tell them they're stupid, they're going to believe it. 
They're going to grow up with that sense of identity that my life means nothing. I'm of no use. And here Jacob is told from day one, you're a liar. Every time they called his name, liar, come here. This is my son, the liar. This shaped who he was. We continue the story. The boys have gotten older. And we see Esau is the favorite of Isaac. Because Esau is a man of the field. He's a hunter. He's a man's man. He's everything that Isaac wanted to be. He's everything that any man could want in a son. And Isaac loves Esau. Jacob, however, he dwells in tents. He's inside, he's cooking, he's hanging out with mum. He's learning how to quilt. These are, these are good skills. But Isaac's not as interested in that. But Rebecca is aware of this promise that Jacob is the one that's going to be blessed. And so even though he's been labelled this liar, she's saying, God's going to bless you. God will fulfil the promise. The promise we've been talking about all this year. He's going to fulfil the promise for you. But Jacob had a distorted picture of God. He learned about God from his father. Like a lot of us, we learn about who God is from our parents, from our father. And when he looked at his dad, when he looked at Isaac, he saw that his love had to be earned, that he wasn't good enough. He looked at Jacob, Esau, and he saw that Esau was out there and he was earning his father's love. So he thought, well, I must have to earn God's love. I must have to earn the birthright. And so he's constantly looking for an opportunity when, when will I get this chance to finally get this blessing? When can I stand up? And so we read this story, chapter 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me, let me eat some of your red stew for I'm exhausted. And you see, Jacob realizes this is his moment. He's cunning, he's deceitful. Like, oh, you want some stew? It's a really good stew. It's probably the best stew I've ever made. Red lentils. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. You want some of this stew? Give me your birthright. How cunning of him. Esau said, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Now the interesting thing about this is Esau's come in from the field and he ends up at Jacob's tent. This family would have been living in a bit of a community so he could have just walked a couple hundred yards and he would have got to his father's tent and couldn't have been fed. So how lazy is Esau? And yet, he goes, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore and he sold him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau bread, lentil stew. He ate, drank, rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Through his actions, Esau said, this is of no value to me. What good is it to me now? I'm hungry. He saw the birthright as being something that was holding him back from the pleasures of life. There was responsibility in being the eldest son. You were carrying on the name of the father. And he went, this is too much. I want to be free and out in the field. And so through his actions, he showed hatred for his birthright, for the promise. My question for you is, what are you selling your birthright for? We are all entitled to this same promise. And what are you giving it up for? Maybe it's for a bigger house. Maybe it's for a meal. We need to sit down and focus on our actions, focus on our priorities and go, what am I selling my position in heaven for? 
one meal Esau sold his for. It wasn't, it was lentil stew. It's not even something good. (laughs) So we see that Jacob, due to his view of who God was, he thought he had to stand up and fulfill the promise himself. He thought God wasn't strong enough. As we continue through, we'll see the repercussions of, of Jacob, Jacob's actions. Now, when Isaac grows old, he senses his time is near, and he, he wants to bless Esau, his favorite son. He wants to give him the blessing. He wants to pass on the name, essentially give him the birthright. So Jacob hasn't necessarily won yet. And so, as David was talking about last week, this is a broken family, and there lacks communication. And Rebecca overhears Isaac's desire to bless Esau. And so she goes to her son, she goes to Jacob, her favorite, and she says, we have to do something. Your dad wants to bless Esau, but you know you're entitled to it. Let's get a plan, let's get it together. And so they come up with this scheme and at first, Jacob's just a little bit wary. He's like, well, what if, what if Isaac touches me? I'm not a hairy man. Oh, it's all right. We'll just put some goat skin on you. He won't even be able to tell the difference. So I'm assuming that at this stage, Isaac was pretty old and delirious because goat skin and hair were not one of the similar. Anyway, so they come up with this plan. And Jacob comes in with this, this food that is cooked for Isaac. And we pick up that story. In verse 27, sorry, chapter 27, Jacob comes into Isaac and says, So when he went into his father, he says, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? First question. Jacob gets caught off guard here because he thinks he's just going to wander in, give him the food, and he'll get it scot free. What we see here is that Jacob was biting off more than he could chew. This is the slippery slope of sin. We think we can dance with it a little bit go as far as we want, and then we'll retract. Once Jacob was in there, he's gone too far. What does he say? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, a blatant lies. He said, I sit. I am Esau, your firstborn. You've done as you to- I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God has granted me success. And this continues on, and Isaac's still not convinced. And he asks him again, are you really my son Esau? Really? And this is when he touches his skin. He's convinced, and he gives him this blessing. And we read of this blessing in verse 27. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell is the son of my son, and it is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's son bow down to you. This is what the God has prophesied, that the older shall serve the younger, but it's come the wrong way. Can we follow God's plan, but do it the wrong way? This is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we patient enough to wait for God to act? Or are we impatient and we're going to try to jump the gun and try to do it ourselves? So Jacob receives his blessing. But what's the repercussions of this? Where's Esau? So Esau comes in from the field. He's like, Dad, I've got this food for you. 
And he's stoked. He's like, today's the day. I'm getting my blessing. And he's, he, um, Isaac says to him, who are you, my son? He says, me, you, you're eldest, Esau. You just told me to go get the food. I'm here. I'm with the food. You're going to bless me? And Isaac starts freaking out. He's in shock. And he realizes what's happened. He says, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau is shattered. He's crushed. He realizes that he's once again been fooled by his brother, the liar. And he says, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me these two times. And so Esau, he flies off the handle, and he makes a plot to kill Jacob. This is pretty extreme. So now Jacob's life is on the line. What's going to happen? He's got the birthright, but is he going to survive? Rebecca hears word of, of Esau's plans. And so she comes up with her own plan once again to try and save Jacob. She convinces Isaac that Jacob should be sent away to find a wife. And so Jacob is fleeing for his life now. And when he's fleeing, he's out in the wilderness. And he's on his own. And you've got to remember, this is Jacob. He's a man of the tents. He's not, he's not used to being outside in the dark. He's petrified. He wants his teddy, but he didn't have time to grab that. So he's here, he's in the wilderness. There's, there's scary things out there. He's freaking out. He, he doesn't know where Esau is. Perhaps Esau's right on his tail. At any moment, Esau could pop out, and bam, he's dead. And he falls asleep. Of all places, he, he makes a, a pillow out of a rock. And so he's sleeping on this rock. And God visits him in a dream. Chapter 28, verse 13, we see, And behold, the Lord stood... No, we'll go back. I jumped too far. Uh, verse 10. Jacob left Sheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust. And he continues on. In verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you. Jacob's just done this deceitful act. God rocks up and says, I'm with you. What a God we serve. There is nothing you can do to turn God away from you. Not a thing. Jacob lived up to his name of being a liar, a deceiver, a cheater. And he does this horrible thing and he's running for his life and God shows up and says, it's okay, I'm here with you. Incredible. This is the same with us. Perhaps there's things you've done in your past that have caused you to flee, to run away from from whether you had to flee family or a job, and God is saying, it's okay, I am with you. There is nothing you can do to turn God off. I am with you. God begins to introduce himself to Esau. He begins to teach him what kind of God he is. He's not the God that he saw through his father. He's not the God that has to, you have to earn his love. Is the God that is with us regardless. So Jacob continues on, on his journey. He knows that God is with him. 
the fear, the fear leaves him. And he makes a pledge to God. He said, if God will be with me, I will keep his way. And so he walks out with confidence and he heads to, to see his relatives. He heads to get a wife. And when he gets there, he, he sees some shepherds. And it's not long before he comes across one of the local females, Rachel. And straight away he falls for her. And um, he eventually meets the family. And he hangs out there for about a month. And he makes, makes a bargain with, with this girl's father. Her name's Rachel. And he makes a bargain with Laban. And this is, a, her, his, this is his mum's brother. And he says, I'll work for you for seven years and then I'll marry Rachel. Now, we don't exactly do that in our culture anymore. Maybe it'd be easier. Um, <laughs> this, this is my problem, Daniel. This is what we're doing wrong. <laughs> normally, normally if, if an individual had enough money, they would, they'd put up a dowry price and say, I'll give you this much money to take your, your daughter and marry her. But Jacob's broke. He was fleeing for his life. So an alternative to that was working. He said, seven years I'll serve you, and then, and then I'll take your daughter. And Laban says, oh, better, better go into you than someone else. And so they make this agreement, and, and Jacob works for seven years, and for him this time just flies by, because he's in love. And so the time comes, the night comes, when he finally gets his bride, and they're having the festivities, it's a big party. And it goes to the point where they're, they're doing their thing. Anyway, um, and they're in the... The next morning when he wakes up, he realizes he's been deceived. It was the wrong girl. Now this was some party or perhaps the clothing was somewhat secretive, but Jacob couldn't tell the difference. And so in the morning he realizes it's the older sister, Leah. And he feels betrayed, he's shattered. He's worked those seven years and it's the wrong girl. What we see here is Jacob reaping what he sowed. Jacob the deceiver, the liar, the one who would trick someone out of their birthright, just got tricked out of a wife. Ironic. But how does he respond this time? Does he flip out? He just says, oh, I'll work for another seven years. I still want Rachel. We can ask ourselves, how do we, how do we respond when someone wrongs us? Say you're at work and someone steals your muffin. <laughs> How do you respond? Well, I'm going to get that person. They stole my muffin. It's blueberries. Or are you a bit more rational like Jacob? You're like, oh, I've been wrong. There's nothing I can do about it now. Keep moving forward. Jacob's having an attitude change here. So he works for another seven years. In those seven years, he's still married to Leah, but that relationship with Leah is tainted. Because she was part of this deception. How can he love this woman who lied to him? From day one, that, that relationship has its issues. So Jacob works for another seven years and he finally gets to marry Rachel, the one that he loved. And then they go on and they have a family. And it comes a time where, where Jacob feels that he wants to go home. Chapter 30. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own country. Jacob was desiring to go back to where he was from 
to get that birthright to claim his land. But then Laban saw him as being quite valuable. So he makes an agreement with him. He says, you stay here and I'll start paying you. And you can have your own flocks. You can hunt for your own, your own sheep, your own cattle. And so they make an agreement. But then God starts blessing Jacob. And he's quite prosperous. So Laban changes the agreement. And then well, Jacob is continually prosperous. Laban changes the agreement again. And doesn't matter what Laban does, God blesses Jacob. And there's a huge lesson from that, that we don't need to worry about other people because God's made a promise to us. He is going to bless us. Regardless of what's going on around us, God will keep his promises. He said back when Jacob was fleeing, I will be with you. I will bless you. And he was. So this goes on for a, for a time. And Jacob realizes that not only is his father-in-law no longer that pleased with him, but the brothers as well. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And what was our father's? He has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Once again, God is re-educating Jacob's view of who he is, and he says, Go back home. Don't worry about your past. I will be with you. He's calling him to face his mistakes from before. He's calling him to face Esau. God's making that same call today to us. No, no one's perfect. We make mistakes. God is still with us. But God doesn't want to keep us out in the wilderness. He's calling us back home. Amen. He wants us to face our past head on so then we can be who he promised us to be. So the question is, what's your Esau? What are you running from? What is it that you've done in the past? Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's just something that's keeping you from being who you're meant to be and you're too scared. There's no need to fear. God is with you. The God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the same God works today. The same promise is valid for us. God walks with us. And so Jacob seeks to go home. And he's a bit worried. He's a bit worried Laban's not going to respond well. So he just packs up his family and he heads off. He doesn't tell Laban. And surely enough, Laban finds out soon enough. He starts pursuing him. He's pretty angry. And understandably too, this guy's just taken two of his daughters, his grandchildren. He could have at least said goodbye. And we see in verse 19, Laban got, had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods and Jacob tricked Laban the Armenian. So Jacob's back to his old ways of deception, tricking. He falls back into that habit. And so he's being pursued once again by someone. And it's not long before Laban catches up with Jacob because they've got all, the, they've got all the, the women and the children, they've got the cattle, they're slow. And he catches up with him and he says, why did you flee secretly? Why did you trick me? And he, he makes it clear that he has the power to take everything away from Jacob. He has the power to take away his wives, take away his wealth, and leave him there once again on his own. But he doesn't. Amen. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. He says, last night God visited me, and if it wasn't for that, I'd be taking everything from him. 
but I know that your God is the true God. So he has mercy on Jacob. Once again, God's showing that he is with Jacob because he's the blessed one. He's the one that's going to have the promise fulfilled through. And so they part ways and Jacob continues on home. We come to chapter 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Jacob sees that there's a group of angels in front. There's a group of angels behind. Once again, God is showing that I'm here with you. Do not fear. Constantly God is reminding us because he knows we forget too easily. I am with you. I am with you. Don't be scared. God walks with you. And so Jacob, he feels the need to pray. And we read his prayer, chapter 32, verse 9. And he says, O God, my father, God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Remember, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do good to you. So that I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds, and steadfast love, and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob had this earnest prayer for God. We can learn a lot about this prayer. This is a prayer that I think we should be praying in those times when we're fearful of facing our past, a time when we're fearful what lies ahead. The first thing we see in this prayer is true humility. Jacob realizes that he didn't deserve any of this because he's a deceiver. He's gone about this the wrong way. God blessed him anyway. He recognizes God's mercies. In the past, God, you've been faithful to me. I've recognized that. And he pleads once again for protection. God, I need you to be with me. There's still fear there. I need you, God. He repeats past promises. God, you called me back here. You said you would be with me. This is the same thing for us. God is calling us back. He's going to keep his promises. We need to remind ourselves of that. And appreciation for past providences. Appreciation for where God has blessed before so Jacob has this, this prayer with God and he's still, he's still somewhat fearful. And so he gets his family and they go across the Jordan. He sends them ahead and he stays there by himself in the darkness once again. Just like he was 20 years ago, he's there with nothing but himself. Once again afraid. And so he's in the darkness. This area was known for robbers. This was known for wild animals. At any stage, something could come out and attack him. He knows Esau is approaching. He sent this peace offering to Esau, saying, I mean you no harm. I'm coming just because I want to return home. He sends messages ahead and nothing comes back. Just word of 400 armed men. Can you imagine that? I'm coming in peace. 400 armed men come. He'd be freaking out. And in his stage, maybe once again, just like he was 20 years ago, Esau could pop out and attack him. We read about this story, chapter 32 and verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. 
He's there in the darkness and this hand reaches out and grabs him on the shoulder and he freaks out and he starts fighting for his life. And they fight and they fight and no one prevails. Hours pass by. They continually fight. They continually struggle. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So after hours, this being makes a decision just to touch his hip pocket, hip socket, and it pops out. This was clearly not a man. Jacob here was wrestling against a divine being. And it wasn't until this point that that divine being decided to reveal himself. And Jacob is shocked. He's like, this is not a man, this is God. I'm wrestling against God. He wrestled with God in prayer, and now he's wrestling with God in the flesh. And this being says to him, he says, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Such boldness. This guy is wrestling with God. He's just been shown the immense power of this being. And yet he goes, I'm not going to let go. You need to bless me. The nerve of this guy. And at any moment, this being could just knock him out. And yet he goes, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This boldness is the same boldness that we need to have. Because the reason why Jacob had boldness, because he knew the promise. And he knew he was entitled to it. He confessed his sins. There was no reason why he shouldn't get this. And he's like, oh, I'm wrestling with God now. I deserve this promise and I will not let go until I get it. We need to show this same boldness. We read in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With boldness. You don't give up when you're being bold. I I just have this image. like God is the king and I'm marching into his castle. I'm saying, you need to give me this promise. I need it. Imagine a peasant doing that into a king's castle. Off with his head. And yet this is what God tells us to do with boldness. This is incredible. We see in the Bible we're told about a time of trouble that's going to come. There'll be a time when we may not sense that God is here. We may not feel him there. When we call out in prayers, he doesn't respond. In Revelation Chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That word patience, this is endurance in trials. Jacob here is in a trial. He is wrestling with God and he refuses to let go. We are in a trial. We're in a trial with the world. We're in a struggle fighting for salvation, fighting to get this promise. Patience. Don't let go. Ellen White sums this up pretty well. She says, Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle with the powers of evil. God will test their faith, their perseverance, their confidence in his power to deliver them. Satan will endow them, endeavor to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that their sins have been too great to receive pardon. They will have such a deep sense of their shortcomings and as they review their lives and their hopes hopes will sink. 
but remembering the greatness of God's mercy, remembering and their own sincere repentance, key there, they will plead his promises and make through Christ to helpless. They will plead his promises made through Christ to helpless repenting sinners. Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered because they know God keeps his promises. Regardless of whether I feel that God is here now, I know he's answered in the past. I know he will answer again. God keeps his promises. You go through this whole Bible, there's not one broken promise from God. It's the same to us. God will not break his promise. They, they will lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel and the language of their souls will be, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. We need to have this same boldness when we're coming to God. And we can't have this boldness unless we've confessed our sins, unless we've repented. Because when Satan comes and brings up our past, if we haven't repented, we won't feel worthy. You need to know that this is, you're entitled to this. This boldness. We will not be bold unless we know we are entitled to this. Do you know that this is what God is promising to you? Are you aware of this? Have you sat down and thought through what God is offering you? And yet some of us are selling our birthright for the pleasures of this world. Is it worth it? We need to really sit down and consider what God's putting on the table here. This is incredible. I know when I was growing up, and you, you put all this time into thinking about what I'm going to do for a career. You spend hours and hours thinking about looking, putting pieces of the puzzle together, maybe some more than others. And yet, this is our eternity how much time have you honestly put in thinking about this? How much time have you sat there re- just thinking what God is offering you and what the world is offering me? And if you haven't spent much time, why? Why not? This is the greatest gift in the universe. And we don't even think about it. We get distracted. I myself, the same. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's promises, where God's worked in the past and what he's going to do in the future. So Jacob wrestles with this angel. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this angel, God in human form, says to him, Who are you? That same question that Isaac asked him. Who are you? You know what he says this time? I'm Jacob. I'm a liar and I'm a deceiver. I've lived up to that name. He identifies exactly who he is. He humbles himself and says, I'm not worthy of this but you promised me. We are all Jacob. And until we recognize that, we won't prevail with God. Jacob's victory did not come in the struggle. He wasn't physically strong enough to wrestle with God. Jacob's victory came in the surrender. Not in the struggle, but in the surrender. When will you stop fighting against God and start working with God? With all through this story, God is saying, I want to be with you. We're going, I'll do this for you. He's going, no, you got it all wrong. We can learn so much from, from our pictures of God. Our pictures of God affect how we relate to not only him, but the world around us. There's the under picture of God, which is the appeasement God. This is treating God like he's an animal. If we keep him, keep him well fed, he'll leave us alone. There's the over picture of God. 
seeing ourselves as being smarter than God and I'll piece everything around and God will just be good. I'm better than him. There's the from picture of God. This is consumerism, that God exists just to give me things. This is the gospel of prosperity. There's the for picture of God. I do this, so he should do that. Now, I realized, working in the ministry, this is the trap that I fall into, that I'm doing all this stuff for you, God. I'm slaving away. When are you going to start doing things for me? But that's not how God works. And I realized just this morning when I was sitting down thinking about this, that this picture of God has come from my relationship with my dad. When, when I was a kid, I've got a good relationship with my dad, but as a kid, all I wanted to do was hang out with him. But he's a busy man, as many, many men are. He was providing for the family. He was doing his best, and he did it good. But um, I worked out that if I wanted to spend time with him, if I wanted him to do something for me, I had to do something for him first. So I would mow the lawn, and then he would help me with my bike. And I get this, this two and four. And I've still sometimes fallen into this trap with, with God. God, I'll do this for you. Now you need to do this for me. But this is not how God works, and he constantly says it through the Bible. With. I want to be with you. And we learn this from the name that God gives Jacob. He says, you are no longer Jacob. You are no longer the deceiver, but you are Israel. You're the one who prevails with God, not for God, with. And this is the most incredible name. Imagine seeing this guy. He goes, that's Israel. That's the man who walks with God. And then that name gets passed on to God's people. That is the nation that walks with God. We, we are spiritual Israel. It says in Romans chapter 9, it is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. We are the children of the promise. We are spiritual Israel. God is calling us to walk with him. When will we start doing that? When will we surrender and allow ourselves to work with God? I've got a question for you guys. How many of you have wrestled with God? God is calling each of us, each of us to this same experience. He's calling us back to face our past and to wrestle with him first before we face that. How many of you can honestly say you've wrestled it out with God in prayer, wrestled it out physically perhaps? Alan White says, wrestling with God, how few know what it is. To wrestle with God is to have the soul drawn out with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch, while waves of despair that, have, that no language can express sweep over the soul, and yet the suppliant will not yield, but clings with death-like tenacity to the promise, clings with boldness because they know they're entitled to it, and they will not let go until God blesses. We go through these struggles in life. God wants to see us cling on with boldness. God wants us to know that we're entitled to this promise. When will we start walking like that? When will we wake up and actually walk 
as individuals with God? When will we stop being Jacob? Take off the mask, take off the facade, and connect with God. So Jacob receives this new identity. And he continues on to the other side of the river. And he comes up to his brother. And he sees him off in the distance. And he bows down seven times. This is the ultimate sign of submission. He didn't need to put up any sort of physical force. He didn't need to fight him. He didn't need to trick him for the promise because he knew God was with him. And what does Esau do? Esau runs up and embraces him and gives him a hug. This is the opposite of what he would have expected. This reminds me of the, the parable of the prodigal son. He's come home and he receives him with warmth and love. Jacob no longer needed to steal the birthright because he knew he had it anyway. God would work through it. Esau offers him his army. He says, we can walk with you. We'll protect you. You know, This isn't a good area. But Jacob's response to him was, what need is there? Why do I need your army? I walk with God. I'm Israel. The challenge for you guys You've heard the story. What God is calling us to do is calling us to face our past. He's calling us to wrestle with Him. He's calling us to prevail with Him, with God. Question is, what are you going to do about it? What's the next step? Because if you don't act after living, listening to this, you're wasting your time. God is calling each and every one of us to action. He wants His church to wake up. We look in Acts, when God's followers encountered God and finally realized what he was teaching, they turned that neighborhood upside down. 3,000 were added in the day. Why? Because they started working with God instead of against. This church can turn this community upside down. And God is moving in this community, but we can do more if we do it with God. We can do more in our own families, with our own friends, if we walk with God. When are you going to start walking with him? That's the question. Let's, let's bow our heads. We'll have a quick prayer. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you so much for keeping your promise. I want to thank you for working with us regardless of our faults. And time and time again, Lord, we stuff up and you're still with us and I thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that each of us will find out what it means to wrestle with you, to find out what it means to walk with you and to prevail with you. Just help us to know that you are with us every step of the way, Lord, and there's no need to fear. I pray that this church will represent a church of spiritual Israel, that we can walk with God through this community and people will look at us and go, those guys walk with God. I just want to thank you for, for your Sabbath, Lord, for the opportunity to enter into your rest, to enter into your salvation. Just pray that you'll be with everyone throughout the rest of the day. Keep us safe and help us to apply this message. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.